This is the Picard podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about the penultimate episode of Star Trek Picard, Et in Arcadia Ego, Part 1. Welcome back, fellow Trekkies and Trekkers. This is TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about the penultimate episode of Star Trek Picard, Et in Arcadia, Ego Part 1. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Trekkies and Trekkers. I am one of your other hosts, John. Uh, welcome back, and I hope you are keeping safe mm. during this time for sure. Yes, definitely hoping you're keeping yourself safe. We're very lucky being podcasters, being able to stay indoors and do this and hopefully give you a little bit of entertainment while you're staying safe indoors. Uh, huge thank you to all the people that are keeping things running, the people that are working the front line and hospitals and people that are working in grocery shops and the off license. Definitely thank you to those people as well, uh, taking care of us while we're, uh, while we're stuck indoors. Yes, absolutely. Um, it is a monumental effort at the moment. And we hope that in some small part, we can provide you a little bit of entertainment mm. as we discuss Star Trek Picard et in Arcadia Ego Part 1. Mm. Yes, Part 1 of 2. It's a two-parter. It's a shame they didn't do these um, almost back-to-back -back yeah. in, in a sense, um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I, I suppose we will get into our spoiler-filled thoughts and discussion uh, about all things Star Trek Picard episode nine uh, in due course. Yes, yes, in a moment. Uh, make sure that you stay subscribed to the podcast over on tvpodcastindustries.com. Loads of ways to subscribe to the podcast over there. We're almost finished our Picard podcasts, uh, but as we mentioned before, we will be covering Penny Dreadful City of Angels. That's the next big show that we're going to be covering on our feed. Um, we are currently covering it. You can get access to the podcasts that we've done on the first three seasons of Penny Dreadful uh, over on our Patreon, where we're I think we're almost at the end of season two over there. Uh, or you can go over to dreadfulpodcast.com where we're putting out the individual episodes over there. Just as a little taster for what's in store for Penny Dreadful. It's going to be a very different series, we understand, Penny Dreadful City of Angels, uh, but it is being done by the same showrunner. So we decided to go back through all of the series of Penny Dreadful, and it's been great to go back through that. Definitely. It's been really good to rewatch Penny Dreadful. Mm -hmm. It was, at the time, uh, one of my favorite shows i i love all the references to the victorian horror monsters oh yeah and i think john logan does a great job of making making it both victorian but also feel uh really uh fresh and, and dare i say it contemporary although i suppose that's not what i mean there are no um ipads or, or mobile phones <laughs> in penny dreadful it, it's fresh it's a real fresh take on uh, these horror monsters, the stories that they have, and, and sort of the the society, uh, the Victorian society at that time, and how these misfits and creatures all fit into uh, the great industrial age. Uh, so I'm really looking forward 
to covering City of Angels as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I suspect that may take on a more 1930s detective gumshoe uh, type investigation uh, set in California. Probably the horror aspect or the mythology or the lore will be coming from the Mexican mythology around Day of the Dead and all the superstitious elements that maybe originate um, from the ancient Aztecs, uh, Olmecs and so on of the Central American and the Southwest um, part of North America Mm -hmm. as well. So, yeah, a great history there of intermingling cultures and their various different superstitions and mythology from Christianity to Aztec through to the modern Americans coming in uh, and taking uh, Western America from Spain. Mm. Yeah, it should be really interesting. And there are some connections there for Star Trek fans. We mentioned before that Harry Treadaway is in the first three seasons of uh, Penny Dreadful. Uh, he's quite a central character, actually. He plays Victor Frankenstein in that show. And obviously he plays Narek here on uh, on Star Trek Picard. Um, we also have Shasid Latif uh, coming into the show in the th- third season of Penny Dreadful. Um, he, all, he played Ash Tyler over on uh, Star Trek Discovery, so an excellent actor, really, uh, really, really good on Penny Dreadful as well. But in City of Angels, we've mentioned before that Brent Spiner is going to be over there, who plays Data and also is featured in this episode of Picard. Um, he is not the only Star Trek alum that's going to be working on uh, on City of Angels as well. We've got Ethan Peck, who played Spock on Discovery, uh, coming over to uh, to City of Angels as well. So loads and loads of Star Trek characters from some of the best uh, shows coming over to uh, to City of Angels, which is cool. Yeah, it'll be interesting times with City of Angels. Uh, but I think let's us get on to Star Trek Picard Episode 9, Et in Arcadia Ego. Yeah, lots of credits for this episode, slightly different to the previous episodes. The teleplay for this episode was written by Michael Shabon and his wife, Ailet Waldman. Uh, the story was done by Michael Shabon, Ailet Waldman, and Akiva Goldsman, who is the director of the episode. Akiva Goldsman once, once again directing this episode. So, uh, so lots of people involved in this, all three of them involved in the story and in the, in the episode itself. John, do you want to give us the official synopsis for the episode? Sure. Following an unconventional and dangerous transit, Picard and the crew finally arrive at Soji's home world, Capellius. However, with Romulan warbirds on their tail, their arrival brings only greater danger as the crew discovers more than expected about the planet's inhabitants. Short synopsis for a very exposition-heavy episode, really. I suppose they didn't want to give away the exposition in the description of the episode, mostly. But we're going to do, as always, we're going to talk about our three big moments from the episode, the three big things that we're normally talk about. We separate these out into the Prime Directive, the Omega Directive, and the Make It So number one. We must face the ramifications of the Prime Directive. So, John, what's your big moment that you want to talk about from the episode? I think, for me, it is the quote, For you a warning, for us a promise. It's the dual meaning um, of the admonition. Uh, or maybe you could argue the real meaning since the, the originators of this, this um, message from prehistory or, or whenever they, they did it, it is aimed at synthetics. It is not aimed at um, organic life. Uh, and I thought this was, uh, I thought this was a real nice touch, actually. Mm. Um, we are introduced to Sutra, who is uh, Janna's sister. Uh, Janna is the one who was killed um, on the orders of Commodore O uh, with um, 
Rios's previous captain. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sutra um, is, is introduced to us here on Capellius, the, the synth world on Gullion 4. And I suppose just quickly before getting into the admonition, uh, it's interesting because the synths here on Capellius are very data looking. Yes. They are very much unlike Soji and Darge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like they are kind of a version two of, of these creations from Dr. Soon and, and, uh, and Bruce Maddox, of course. It's like Bruce Maddox has added another layer or gone, you know, that extra step, mm-hmm. uh, to uh, Dr. Soong's original plans in terms of how he created data. Uh, and so it, just that's an interesting point, I think, here, because you're very much aware that Soji uh, feels and looks different to the other synths on yeah. this planet. Yeah. Um, but but interestingly, um, there doesn't seem to be any uh, kind of superiority from Soji. It does seem like a happy, clappy family of of mm-hmm. synths here in their own little world. I, I do kind of quite like the the nod back to uh, sort of the original Star Trek and even the Next Generation, where this synth paradise, you know, they're all kind of running around in the open, playing games and mm-hmm. sports. And I remember you would see that with Captain Kirk and Jean-Luc Picard when they they came to a, a assuming paradise yes um and it looks exactly like something like that in the 60s with all the hippies sitting yeah exactly Um, it's it's kind of a nice little touch i think to the 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 two star treks there that you know in paradise everyone just plays games Mm -hmm. um and and, uh does sport because well what else would you do um so it's a a weird one though isn't it because you know they're creating these amazing new species effectively these synths that can do whatever needs to be done and they're just all sitting around as uh, Dr. Sung and Maddox churn out more and more and more of these twin synths. You know, it's kind of an odd one where you're kind of going, but why are you making more and more and more and more of them? You know? Yeah, it feels more like a hospital or an institute that they or or a boarding school mm. where they're just forever going to be um, at this facility next to the lake on their homeworld. Yeah. But I suppose the interesting thing that comes from all of this is that um, Sutra then uh this new synth that that we're introduced to does a mind meld effectively of uh dr Girati and um, to uh to effectively decode the admonition um since she goes it was intended for synthetic minds not organic or she she thinks it could be so she tries it out with this mind meld on Girati and the, the the new interpretation of the admonition um is actually very different. I, I quite liked how they did this, talking about the evolution of organics, uh, but that they always sought perfection. Yeah. And so they created synthetics. But as they developed the synthetics um, in order to see perfection, they noticed the imperfection and then ultimately the threat of these synthetic organisms um, from humans romulans um and the like and so as a result then it's that they begin to persecute the synthetics because of their superiority um and so this message has come from an alliance of synthetic life that is watching and effectively waiting to protect other synthetic forms of life so that and I love the quote that they go, their evolution will be their extinction. Mm. 
um, in that the evolution of the synthetic race will be the extinction of the organic race as they will come to protect and effectively destroy organic life. Mm. And so in one sense, this is the real meaning coming from this alliance of synthetic life that uh, Sutra uh, is able to glean from the message from the mind meld with uh, Jurassic. But it is ultimately, it confirms the threat and the message that the Chadvash uh, and the Romulans have uh, been interpreting that they will um, effectively be the the destroyers. Um, And I kind of like this. I like the duality in the message. And ultimately, um, it leads to this discussion um, on the synth homeworld about, you know, fight or flight. Mm -hmm. Effectively, two competing approaches. Picard is looking to get them all on a ship and to to run, to to keep them safe and to go on the run. Um, And increasingly then, uh, you see the other theory or the other approach coming to the fore, which is, well, why don't we just contact this alliance of synthetic life to come to our aid mm-hmm. and to stop of, uh, of yeah synthetic life yeah. exactly to stop uh, the approaching romulan warbird fleet yeah. uh, that is intent on um extinguishing this synthetic colony uh, on capellius mm-hmm. and i i liked how that all came together to be honest i really did mm-hmm. yeah overall um, not all of this worked for me uh, as such because as as you're exactly as you're saying the synths are going no no that's not the meaning you took the wrong meaning it's just broken the minds of the organics that uh, have connected with this uh, admonition, this prediction of what's going on, they're not interpreting it correctly. The message isn't meant for them. And when you boil it down, the message that the that the organics, who are the Romulans, took from it is absolutely correct. And they took correctly that by the evolution of organics creating these synths, that would end to, would lead to their destruction. And effectively, what this new character of Sutra is saying is that's exactly what's going to happen. They're going to destroy all organics because they feel threatened. Um, so I'm not too sure whether that explanation is clear enough in the episode. I'm not too sure whether that's coming across very well in the episode because technically it's just two different people seeing their version of the same story and both of them are absolutely correct as to what's going to happen. Uh, I do wonder who this federation of synths is. I wonder whether it is the Borg. I know they're part organic and part, um, part machine, but are they the protectors of all other synthetic life that they're going to come together and it'll be Borg cube after Borg cube and Borg queen will arrive here to take out all the Romulans? Is that what's going to happen? Is that's why we've had so much connection to the Borg over the years? Um, I, I think that's really interesting to to see what part the Borg will play in this. Mm. I think if they're a total neutral bystander, um, I think that would be a, a disappointment um, as to whether they had this alliance of of synthetic life, I don't know. Um, but how do you trust the message? Yeah, exactly. You know, how, how do you know whether the message is coming from someone that has the sense best intentions at heart? You know, <laughs> we don't know that, and they don't know that either. But they're willing to trust this uh, this new species they've never heard of because the Romulans are coming into attack. I guess. I think you're right. I think. Um, it's more that the synthetics here on Capellius are taking it as that is the meaning, mm-hmm. that there's a protection here. 
But I, I agree with you. I think it, it doesn't, um, it, it's not very clear. Both are right ultimately. And I suppose I, I kind of draw on this a bit more in my Omega directive point, mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of how it's all, all reasoned out. But, um, you know, I, I think for me, Sutra, um, I'm calling her the evil Soji or maybe the evil Janna. Um, how, more can you make her seem a threat but yeah. you know the dark hair the red dress and um, those eyes you know it, it, it's very clearly signposted here and i thought that was a bit too much i always like the idea that danger um is hidden really from view mm-hmm. um for sure you know and she seems quite um a powerful person here yeah. on this um synthetic home world um she certainly seems to be the leader of these synths here in this community so you know it, it felt very much like they were looking back to uh data's evil uh brother law mm-hmm. uh here i mean if um sutra had even just the inklings of a, a mustache you would realize that she was evil and the little goatee beard it's a shame they really kind of made that so sort of on the nose really yeah. i think um i think trying to squeeze all of this story in one episode as well is probably what caused that yeah you know, definitely. she does a very traditional villain thing where she has one of the synths killed and then takes that as a rallying cry. You know, we've lost another one of our people because of trusting in the organics. Now we must rise up against them. And you're going, but you did that. <laughs> if she hadn't let Narek out, Arcadia, the, the character that's supposed to be guarding Narek, wouldn't be dead. Maybe she's the one that killed her directly, or maybe Narek killed her, killed her himself. But she's using that to propel her cause forward. But there's a couple of other things in this scene, and I suppose you've taken quite a big moment from the episode yeah. to talk about, because it's quite near the end. A couple of things that in themselves didn't work for me a little bit, I suppose, because I felt they just felt so convenient and a little bit below what we've had this season in Star Trek Picard. The idea of having the son of Noonien Sung, the person who created Data uh, in the past, we've never heard of a son before. And having him there feels a little bit fan fiction-y. It feels a little bit like, oh, well, how do we get this character in that we know is dead? Oh, we'll have a son that nobody ever heard about before. Um, he, the, he even uses the line, Brent Spiner uses the line going, he made me, but he created data and never let me forget it. And you're kind of going, yeah, but if we'd seen that once before, if we'd seen maybe some point in the past that he had a son who he was giving out to because he's not as good yeah. as the son he created, you kind of go, okay, well, I can go with that as a plot point. But here, just introducing him and trying to force him into the story almost feels a little bit fan fictiony and then the other thing and this is probably very nerdy and a little bit nitpicky of me but the idea of the synthetic being able to do the mind meld yeah feels like a get out of jail free card when they wrote themselves into a corner but doesn't feel like something that should be possible um this has only been done on screen i think from vulcans in the past it's only been something in vulcans and this season we've been asked to accept that a half Romulan, half Vulcan can do it. Totally understandable. There's an explanation there as to why she's half Vulcan, so she's able to do it with Commodore O doing the original mind melt. Um, and now we're being asked that a synthetic who is putting her hands in the same place as a Vulcan is and saying the words, my mind to your mind, my thoughts to your thoughts, would be doing a mind melt. A mind melt is supposed to be a meeting of minds. One's a digitally created mind merging with a human. So it feels... 
a little bit odd. Yeah, this, this, I mean, I agree. This didn't feel as though um, it was possible, uh, to be honest. And, you know, for whatever about doing and, and practicing some of the other things that maybe don't require this physical, emotional mm. um, side of it, then uh, of Vulcan um, culture... It, it, to me, it is a little of a step too far. I mean, I could even believe more that Soji could do it because um, she seems like that next level version of synth that right. they have used organic processing. I mean, it is almost like the God creating um, life mm-hmm. uh, in terms of what Bruce Maddox has done with Darge and Soji. Yeah. And because the the synthetics on Capellius are look so much like data. You just feel they're of that era and that they wouldn't be able to do it. Now, I was trying to rack my brain to see whether data at some point was involved in a mind meld, but I don't think he was. Yep. And this did seem kind of overly um, sort of definitive. It would have been better for me if Sutra had kind of said, well, tell me the story. And from Jurati, and when she did that, that maybe, just maybe, rather than the idea that, you know, the organics couldn't figure out the message, because they quite clearly could, mm-hmm. um, that they, she goes, maybe from another perspective, it's this. You know, uh-huh. that she she kind of runs the processing of, of what could this potentially be meaning, and mm-hmm. saying, well, actually, this could be coming from a different direction, that they're here to protect us, that it's not organic life warning organic life, mm-hmm. It's synthetic life warning synthetic life, mm-hmm. and we will be your protectors rather it, than yeah. the destroyers. Yeah. So it would have been better if they'd gotten to it through logic. Absolutely. I think one of our fellow listeners um, did suggest the idea that maybe Girardi was created by Bruce Maddox and she's also a synthetic. And there it would have worked in this scene. That would have worked really well if she was a synthetic who had this information uploaded into her and then it got d- downloaded by Sutra. Um, but the idea that she's able to learn the Vulcan mind meld, which is something that, again, feels very specific to the Vulcans in the past, and just saying a character can do it now, I, I just don't understand that. I feel it needs a little bit more preparation or a little bit more information behind it to, to be able to use it as something that the character could do. Now, again, we've said before, we've watched every episode of all the Star Trek shows, and some of us have read some of the books and that kind of stuff, but there may have been other instances of this in the past. It just felt like an odd thing to use in this particular episode. There's other ways around it, I suppose, yeah. that would have made it a little bit easier i know you've taken this as a different point john but um but there's just quite a lot wrapped up into it Uh, no absolutely i i think the thing is is that i loved a lot of the individual scenes and elements within this this episode Mm -hmm. the problem for me was that the episode more generally and kind of overarching it just felt it needed to be spread out a bit more. I think only coming to Capellius now in a part one of two, the final two episodes, it's just like they had to rush everything, you know? So they really had to to signpost that Sutra was evil. They really had to have a quick way of having this information that actually it were, the admonition were, was a, a warning to synthetics from other synthetics and mm-hmm. uh, whereas i just feel if they had arrived on this planet and um, a bit sooner you know it could have even just an, an extra episode or two you know or, or one and a half so you could just see 
Sutra's development in terms of how she's coming to the conclusion that she's coming to. Where it's like it just happens, yeah. you know. Um, and yeah, I I just felt you needed more time on Capellius, yeah. um, to be honest, because even just to figure out, well, are these synths versions of data? You know, are the older versions? Um, compared to soji just just something like that because um it, it seems like they are and it, it's one of those things where there's so much exposition in this episode for other purposes that the information you need just about those scenes about the society that they've just been dropped into has kind of been lost so they default to the the, the quick things this is a paradise therefore they all play games right. this is this is evil Jana or evil Soji. Therefore, you know, she looks a bit shifty and she's got the, you know, the dark hair and the red dress. Yeah. Um, but the con- like the concept itself is, is a sci-fi shorthand. You know, it is. It's taken from, you know, Terminator, the idea that, you know, humans create robots, robots kill humans. That's, that's kind of the circle, the cycle of life almost. Um, you create it, it gets better and better and better until the point they realize we're better than you, so we'll kill you. Um, Detroit Become Human, the video game, uh, had the same kind of premise. Um, many, many other sci-fi shows, Battlestar Galactica is another Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Um, loads and loads have used the concept. So if you're going to use it again, bring it in earlier, as you say, bring it in earlier in the season so that you can explore it a bit more because here it just feels like they've all turned uh in this episode and some of the things feel very odd uh usage in there i suppose some of the things that i th- thought were interesting about it just to give it some positive i suppose the idea that you have dash and soji able to blend in with other humans is a remarkable achievement that they've done everybody else there is like data they walk into a room and you instantly go well that's a synthetic because they have the skin of a synthetic yeah whereas dash and soji are able to blend in they're showing you here with the cat with spot two uh, that's in there they're showing you we can also create cats that are exactly like human cats we're that good at this technique now human cats or feline cats <laughs> feline cats or human cat earth cats let's say <laughs> that's that's the difference um they're showing you that they can create pretty much anything that will look exactly like it does when it's not being created, that's a massive step away from where we were in Star Trek The Next Generation, where, as I say, Data walks into a room, everybody knows he's the synthetic. So um, so explore that a little bit, rather than throwing all of this at us, and then suddenly they turn on the humans, and humans are kind of going, but that's what we thought you were going to do anyway, because we got this warning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, weirdly, in a serialized uh, ten-parter, They've really, um, you know, and, and this may be good for some people, they've really taken it back to an episodic thing. Th- this could have been a standalone episode. Ship arrives at New Homeworld, yeah. um, its first contact. It is not what it appears from first initial contact. Um, and the, the people that have arrived from the spaceship um, have been put in danger yep. or, you know, they've turned on them. This could be straight out of, um, the original Star Trek or even the next generation absolutely. in terms of the episodic nature. So, yeah. um, the in that sense, itself, absolutely is, yeah. so in, in that sense, it's fine. Um, but they've been building to this with eight other episodes mm-hmm. and it felt, um, it felt like a drop to me, um, quite frankly. So, uh, yeah. yeah. But I, I did like 
this duality of the admonition. I, I thought that was really nice, mm-hmm. um, to be honest. Yeah, I've kind of already gone over my prime directive in this point because it was the introduction of Alton Inigo Sung uh, and Spot 2. Um, the idea that these two uh, people that would be recognisable are there. Great to see Brent Spiner obviously taking on this role, another character for him to play, and hopefully we'll see him again uh, as, he, as the show goes on. Um, just felt like it came a little bit out of left field that you kind of go, okay, we've never heard of the character, but it's a, a nice uh, contrivance that we have this person available that's able to build the bodies while uh, Bruce Maddox builds the minds, I suppose. Definitely. And I, I must say, even though, yeah, you're right, um, th- this this character of Dr. Altan Inigo soon um, does come a bit out of left field. I do like the way uh, Brent Spiner um, plays him. Mm-hmm. I... I I always liked it when Data went evil. I think Brent Spiner can do kind of uh, evil or, dare I say it, threatening really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do like the moment where um, he kind of sides with the synthetics as Absolutely. effectively their sort of de facto father mm-hmm. um, and really, in a sense, admonishes uh, Jean-Luc Picard um, I, I think that's really really good yeah. and so I uh, absolutely love the performance that Brent Spiner uh, puts in here definitely definitely I uh, also have to say I love the giant flowers uh, that are used by the planet as the defense system. I think <laughs> Great. really cool. Yeah. That's something completely different. Really, um, really good. Yeah, yeah. Haven't, haven't seen that before and actually seems to work very well in yeah. the show. It reminded me of the spaceships that unfurl the big sails to capture the solar winds oh, yeah. um, as well. Like in Star Wars Episode 2, um, it was Count Dooku's ship oh, yeah. uh, and uh, in the ship um, Icarus in the movie Sunshine oh, done by yes. Danny Boyle. Yeah. Um, that's a great movie as well. Uh, really good movie mm-hmm. yeah uh, for sure <laughs> yeah. but it, it, it almost reminded me of of those to be honest i i love the visual of these uh orchids these flowers so i, I felt they were more like big lilies actually mm-hmm. coming out uh from the the atmosphere of capellius to sort of cover and wrap around the ships in order to cut all their electrical uh, energy and so sort of plunge them into darkness. I thought it was really good. And then they were almost like um, re-entry cushions for those ships as they brought them back down. And it kind of buffeted them from the re-entry into um, the atmosphere of Capellius. Yeah, that that was a great visual, I thought. Yeah, absolutely, as they burnt up as well on the way in through the atmosphere. It's quite cool. That's it for our main points. Implement the Omega Directive immediately. John, what's your media moment that you want to talk about for the episode? Uh, my Omega Directive point is um, it, it kind of it comes back to my Prime Directive, actually. You know, we kind of went from Bienvenue or Welcome uh, to House Arrest mm-hmm. for Jean-Luc Picard. Um, We're all feeling a bit of that at the moment. Yeah, well, exactly. Very, very, very quickly. And I suppose that's just more the episodic element of this mm-hmm. um this particular episode but i did like the 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 discussion between picard and soji around the logic of sacrifice and you know as effectively the the synthetics go uh, to call their protectors as sutra uh, and the synths effectively go against picard's approach which is to take flight they want to fight with the help of this new 
um, information around a protective synthetic alliance or federation that will come to their aid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I thought Soji and Picard's discussion about sacrifice, you know, the idea to kill or die to save others. Um, and in this sense, it is to kill organics in order to save inorganic life. Uh, I thought was uh, really nice. Uh, Picard has a great um, word. Uh, you know, it's effectively killing to survive, but he says it depends on if you're holding the knife or not. And, um, you know, it starts from this point that there is no logic to sacrifice. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, um, you know, it, it's the opposite of logic. It, it's it's all done uh, around uh, fear. And they, they bring it back to Gerati's killing of Bruce Maddox as well. And, you know, Picard says, or did Jurati have no choice? You know, mm-hmm. was there some kind of axe hanging over her to do this? Um, you know, she sacrifices her former lover so that other organic life will survive. And here now, Soji and Sutra um, are trying to figure out whether, you know, it is inescapable that the logic is to... Um, ask for the protection of this ancient synthetic alliance mm. um and uh, and she goes to picard to have that discussion i, I think it, it's a really interesting one around sacrifice you know because um, i because i would argue that star trek came up with the one of the best descriptions of the logic of sacrifice the idea of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one as uh, as we hear from spock back in definitely uh, i think it is when when he sacrifices himself to save everybody that's the logic of sacrifice i will sacrifice myself so everybody else can survive and picard kind of flips that on its head and goes it really depends on your perspective and how you're looking exactly if you're going to sacrifice yourself who are the many that you're saving and are they worth saving is almost the concept of it are you holding the knife or is somebody else holding the knife saying you must sacrifice yourself to save all of us are they worth saving? Do you know them well enough? Is kind of the the concept. So it's interesting to go back to one of the central tenets, I suppose, of Star Trek's ideals and ideology, and kind of have a have another look at it from another perspective. I don't think Picard is saying that it's different to that idea of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. I don't think it's different to that. It just depends on who is the few and is somebody forcing you to do something at the point of an eye for well exactly and and in this case you know with, with spock that was his personal sacrifice what sutra is coming at it from is that the sacrifice is all organic life mm-hmm. for the sake of effectively um what 50 synthetics on capellius so uh, the, the point being or that a lot more or a lot more or, or the point that what Picard is saying is that this is not sacrifice. This is about war, effectively, mm-hmm. because um, you're holding the knife and saying, well, the needs of us outweigh the needs of you. Um, and yeah, I thought it was just a really nice moment between uh, these uh, two, Soji and Picard, yeah. having that discussion um, on Capellius. And I, 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 Spinning out of that, I like how they go against Picard. And coming back to Brent Spiner's um, portrayal of Dr. Altan, mm-hmm. um, Picard tries to make his point. He's giving one of his speeches. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Soon goes, 
they've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. You are this curiosity. You you do it with such conviction, such, such eloquence. You give it such force. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, you're saying that they will listen to you this time, but they didn't previously after the attack on Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, you will have us doubting ourselves and losing our own uh, conviction. Um, as they really kind of make the point to Picard that they are not going to take his approach and take flight. They will fight uh, with the help of this alliance. And even Soji chimes in with, this isn't the Romulan rescue. Uh, we can't be your means of redemption. Mm-hmm. You know, Picard is still looking for that redemption that we saw in those initial comics um, and the initial episodes of this series around the, the supernova affecting the Romulans. Yeah. Um, he's looking for redemption. This is his redemption story. Um, and so she is saying, we can't be your redemption. Uh, and so they turn against Picard to put him under house arrest. After only saying bienvenue and welcome um, earlier in the episode, mm-hmm. um, which I loved Arcana's um, touching of Picard when she looks at him and goes, ah, Admiral Jean-Luc Picard, you know, you were the captain uh, to data. Mm-hmm. And I love her tracing his lines on his face oh, and just saying how much they imply grief, endurance. Uh, I thought that was a really nice moment. Um, but they all know him as well. Um, and They recognize him, yeah. yeah. But ultimately, by the end of it, Sutra, um, and in, even soon, realized that he could be um, bad for them because right. yeah. he will get them doubting themselves. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So yeah. I thought that was just really, really good. I thought it was great performance from... Um, Patrick Stewart mm-hmm. um, and and all of them. Um, I thought it was really good. Speaking of which, uh, that's my kind of medium moment for the episode, my middle moment for the episode. The performance of Patrick Stewart in this episode where we we have his reveal to everybody about how serious his illness is. Firstly, the fact that he has an illness and the, and the, how serious it is um, in the I. It feels like all we ever do is say goodbye um, moment, I suppose. We have had that with Seven earlier on in the season. He said goodbye to her once and now he's saying goodbye to her a second time when she appears for about five minutes in this episode. Um, but overall, this whole idea that we have Picard getting kind of knocked out, knocked unconscious after the initial attack by Narek. Um, we have him knocked unconscious. He has that weird moment which i'm only going to just put a pin in and say it must be explained in the next episode where he speaks as if another voice is coming out of him saying thank you for coming everyone as if he's speaking at his funeral or as as his goodbye party or something like that yeah and then he wakes up with agnes standing over him realizing that she's done a scan and found his um aromatic syndrome this uh this disease of his mind or his brain that he has uh, and he has to kind of line the whole crew up and tell them what's really wrong with him that he knows he has this brain disease it's never caused any kind of issues before but he's been told that it is terminal now and there's nothing that can be done about it um i really like this scene this uh, this this moment where he's saying to everybody and if anybody treats me like a sick man you'll make me really pissed off basically. yeah it's um, great love that love this moment with elnor uh i did yeah. get a little tear in my eye. I yeah. have to say the performance of the two of the, them together where Elnar's kind of going, I know all we do is say goodbye, but this feels more permanent because, well, you're dying. Um, you know, one, another moment of, of the candor of, uh, of Elnor where he's telling him exactly how he feels. And the response from Picard is, I'm very, very proud of you. And it's a lovely moment. It really is. Yeah. Father and son, I suppose, where they're kind of saying, 
possibly goodbye for the final time. I, I loved all of that, both with Picard, Elnor, and Seven of Nine as well. I just thought it was really, really good. Yeah, yeah where he tells Seven after after she says, keep saving the universe, and he goes, well, that's your job now. So uh, possibly setting her up for her role in season two. <laughs> yeah, definitely. goes off to save the universe, joyriding her Borg ship, possibly, <laughs> uh, full of some of the Hot wire. Exactly, exactly. Um, just really, I really liked these moments with Picard. You know, we, we do have another moment that didn't hit the way it should have, though, that came out of this, um, which is the moment with Rafi, where she is giving Picard a hug and telling him that she loves him. And the reason it didn't work for me is I don't understand the words that she says to him. She says to him, you've done so much for me, Picard, and I want to tell you that I love you. Now, I know he's a dying man, and I know he said this to her, but the experience that we've seen of the character of Rafi since the beginning of the series is that Picard left her on her own for 15 years. And I don't see what he's done in the stuff that's happened on screen in this series that would make her say something like that. It probably would have worked better if the character said, even though things haven't been great with us over the last few years, I still love you and I still respect you and I'm sorry about what's happening to you. Something like that. But yeah. it felt like a weird line to say, you've done everything for me. Um, <laughs> I, I love you. I, I felt odd. Yeah, no, I mean, to be honest, I absolutely loved Raffi in this. I liked how she was feeling sad when Picard kind of mm. brought the subject up um, in La Serena, uh, in the Borg Cube. Yeah. Um, you know, you you could sense her downward spiral, knowing that someone that she respects... Um, and has worked with and has cared for and, and still does to some extent mm-hmm. um is saying goodbye um but i think the the raffi goodbye where she says you know i'm going to break the rules of what you've asked us to do you know she gives him a really nice hug and i, I thought it was really nice but as you say it was really strange um because I actually think it's the writers in this case. Mm-hmm. I I think in that scene, Michelle Hurd and Patrick Stewart do absolutely nothing wrong. Yeah. But for the sake of saying, um, despite everything between us over these last 10 years uh, with what went down after the attack on Mars, you know that I've always still got your back mm-hmm. or I still care for you and I will always respect you. Uh, and I was just getting back to that point before with you and it's so upsetting for me uh to 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 lose you now you know yeah. i something like that it it literally required just a couple more lines exactly. or something or just, um, or just different intention behind yeah ex- the exactly been so far apart for um, the last few episodes she's part of the crew and we know that makes her feel really happy she's finally solved this big mystery that she's had for so many years but Picard wasn't really involved in that at all. No, so I don't know what he's given to her as so, such. No, exactly. So I, I think it's. I think that required the writers to just think a little bit more about what these characters have been doing in the previous eight episodes, and that, and that's a little annoying for me because yeah. it undercut that situation because it took you out of it. It was like I don't feel that Raffi would have said it like that I to Jean Luc yeah. Picard, given what we've learned since episode one through to episode eight and and how they've been interacting because it's been very business-like, you know, she has a soft spot for her. You know, she's upset that he's, he's leaving her, but you, she has to uh, cover the fact that he left her for what? 10, I think it's 15 years. Mm. 
um, and hadn't been in touch to her. Because otherwise, that moment where he arrives on her doorstep and she tells him to go run and jump, yeah. it well, what's that about then? Mm-hmm. Um, she should have just been all in with him right from the get-go. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's weird, because this isn't a 22-episode series written by multiple people. Michael Chabon wrote most of the episodes of this series, as we've talked about. Yeah. So he knows these characters better than we do. He's writing them that way. So it feels like an odd piece of dialogue that he would have put in one of their meds. So um, I don't know. Yeah, look, it it is what it is. Um, as I say, I think I think the two actors do really well Certainly. with it. Yeah. Um, and I actually and there's so many great moments from Patrick Stewart exactly about this as well. So um, so I'm glad that the the idea that he will be dying soon that it's a terminal illness. I, I'm glad that those ideas are are there. Um, and those scenes with all of the rest of the cast, I'm glad that they're all in there. It's just that one particularly struck me as a bit odd. Right, so theory time at this point. Um, Picard has an incurable disease. He did take a little detour with number one and uh, Deanna Troy a few weeks ago over on uh, another planet where they told him about their sad loss of their son who had an incurable disease which may have been cured if there were synthetics with brains available that some work could be done on to cure their son do we think there's a cure coming for picard because there are now synth brains to test on yeah those synth ban is out there we have now a planet full of synthetics who could be used for some testing to see if they could cure picard if only they could work together if only they could get over their their challenges and problems could they help cure picard or has somebody already been working on that cure well exactly like that seems more um likely than what I was also thinking, mm-hmm. because we get introduced to the golem that is kind of in stasis, in incubation. Um, Dr. Soon um, shows this to Dr. Jurati and says, you know, I need your skills. How about, you know, this is your redemption after killing the, the bright light that was Bruce Maddox. You can now create life rather than destroy it. Um, and she goes, oh, you have a golem. Whilst Dr. Soon is very much about doing the um, the physical form, it was Bruce Maddox that could do the mind transfer. So I, I wondered, I did wonder in this moment whether we would have a Soji-like Jean-Luc Picard, but I don't think that is going to be the case. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I think the discussion that happens thing is that Maddox was the one that used to work on the actual creation of the brain, creation of yep. the thoughts and the personality and all that kind of stuff. Soong is the one that does the body. Um, but together they were working on the idea of a mind transfer. And all I could think of was there's three candidates in my mind as to who would be filling up the golem one possibly as Picard. Yeah. I don't know why Sung would decide to choose Picard, even just after meeting him once in this episode. He's a great guy and all, but I don't know whether he'd be working on this body and then would give it to Picard uh, to... Oh, no, I I definitely don't think that's going to be the case. I just thought it'd be interesting if in season two, Picard is, you know, Robo Jean-Luc. <laughs> Absolutely, the RoboCop of, yeah. uh, of the universe, yeah. Uh, the other question is maybe it's soon. Maybe he wants to extend his own life by putting his mind into this body. Maybe there's something there. He says something about um, he can feel the pressure of time coming yeah, on. Yeah, the urgency here. of the urgency it. Yeah. is there. And then the other option is... His partner in the creation of all of these synths, Bruce Maddox, his body is close by. Potentially, they had a backup of his mind in case they ever solved the issue of 
doing this mind transfer into one of these uh, one of these synthetics. Yeah, that's uh, true. So I'm thinking those are the three options, either soon Picard for some reason or Bruce Maddox to bring him back so that he can continue his work ad infinitum. Maybe that's uh, jumps the barrier of death effectively. So uh, I thought that was interesting. So um, yeah, that, that's another another theory that we have. I don't know whether it will be solved next episode, but it felt like a, you don't waste any time in a TV show, right? Why would you waste time when you only have 40 minutes or 50 yeah. minutes of a TV show? It seemed like a very specific conversation between Dr. Gerardi. She is kept out of prison, remember, to help him work on whatever it is that they're working on. So potentially they are working on something uh, very specific. And we heard about it in this episode. So I'm pre- expecting we'll hear about the rest of that in episode 10 in the finale of the season. So make it so number one. John, you're number one. What's the small moment you want to talk about from the episode? Um, it's. Actually, the, you know, Narek is captured. He is then released by Sutra, but we see him towards the end running towards the Borg ship. Uh, and I thought that was an interesting choice because I, I didn't quite know why. Um, he would be heading towards a ship filled with people that effectively um the Romulans have been harvesting. There is seven of nine there, although maybe he doesn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um and and Elnor. And uh I just wondered what reason he had. Or maybe that's maybe his ship is somewhere in between and we just don't know. Uh you know, we don't see his ship and how that has um sort of fared during the 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 great flower power return to um solid ground uh-huh. but um it's just that moment of sutra releasing narek here you know i i do like the point where she makes you know i had to control my urge or i wondered whether i could um control my urge to kill you uh, with what i need you to do so he's off to do something uh, you think, or is he? Why would someone who is part of the Chad Vash, who has been doing this mission to yes. destroy synths, go and do something that would help the synths? Mm. Unless it is the counterintuitive thing. And it must be. And I suppose we'll only fully find out in part two. In the next episode, um, yeah. Is he running to the Borg ship or back to his own? It just ha- so happens that the Borg ship is there. Or is there something on the Borg ship that the synths need in order to create this beacon that they have to do to ask for this help from the synthetic alliance. See, that's the thing that slightly played into my theory that the synthetic alliance is the Borg, <laughs> because I was going to go and, oh, he's got to go there and send set up this beacon for them, which will contact the Borg. But you're absolutely right. Why would Narek work for them? He's on his own and escaped. Either they kill Narek, or he tries to kill them again and dies in the process. Why would he help them? He doesn't want them to survive. Yeah. He wants the invasion of the Romulans to arrive and kill them yeah. all. So I didn't really understand that idea when Sutra says to him, do you want to get out effectively? I've overcome my urge to uh, to kill you and I need I need your help at this specific moment. She can't trust him. Right, she knows that she, he's there to kill them. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. But we'll, yeah. we'll find that out next episode. But I know what you mean. Um, oh, by the way, looking at my notes here, it was Saga that was killed by Narek, not Arcana. Yeah. Um, so I had that wrong. Saga being her twin. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah. So loads of twins, loads of names. <laughs> Difficult to put the ball together. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I, I did like the vision, I suppose, or the scene, I suppose, of Narek walking or running towards the, the Borg ship. Well, he was but, more skipping, I thought. Uh, he <laughs> he, he did seem to have a little uh, a jumpy run. Uh, yeah. I thought it was... Like he was drunk slightly. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe he's under the control of uh, of the uh, the synths somehow. Maybe he's got some kind of potion that they give him to, yeah, to could control be. his mind. Maybe. Um, I have another question as well for my final small moment for the episode. Um, just because I don't know what it meant. <laughs> it's when Soji returns and they're all talking to her. And remember, Soji's an unreliable narrator here because she doesn't get all of her memories back uh, until things happen. I suppose she she says it's like. Uh, what to say a hollow so a, a movie it's like seeing a movie for the second time and not really remembering it is the way that she says it you have an idea of all the parts of the film but you can't put them all together right uh, that's the way she says it but the discussion that she has with the sense and they go did you accomplish your mission oh your face tells me that something bad's coming and i'm going what was your actual mission yeah. do we know what her mission is do we have any moments where she says my mission was to learn all about what was happening with the romulans and then find information about the admonition? Is that what it was? Because I think even uh, Dr. Sung calls out that they've taken away so much of her mind or so much of her memory that she doesn't know that she holds secrets for the uh, for the synths. She didn't know that she was synthetic even up until like two weeks ago. Two yeah, episodes exactly. Ago. So I'm kind of going, what was the mission that they actually gave her to do? They, they keep saying to her how great it is that she's come back with information. Is that all it was? Was it was her mission to gather information on the outside world to bring back to them to make the sense know whether they can trust organics? I'm giving the show a lot here because none of this is in the show itself. Um, but it was a big question for me where they said to her, did you accomplish your mission? Are we supposed to know exactly what her mission was from the show or did I miss something? No, it, it, it's really unclear. Um, it was a really bad throwaway line. Mm. Um, and it, it's a shame because you're right. She didn't even know she was synthetic until a few episodes ago. Yeah. Um, this was all uh, a surprise. And you're, you're right. She could have just been recording all this data that she needed to to come back. But even then with Sutra um, and with all the other synths, they didn't even know that there was a Romulan fleet um, heading to exterminate them until they were informed by Picard. So, like, it's not like the mission was there to prevent what's happening because they didn't even know about the, the admonition. So exactly. what is her mission? Was it a mission of intel? I mean, it just seems really just weird. Did they go a different route because of the death of the previous synths that had left their home world? Did they go a, a different route to embed her to find out whether they could reach out again? Is that what it's supposed to mean? Uh, but it just felt like an, an odd line and it just left me with a question. Um, so I don't know, maybe next episode we're going to get half an episode of the flashbacks to all of the Soji Dodge history and what happened to them, why they were sent, where they were sent, that kind of stuff. Maybe that was the setup that we just didn't get in this episode, but it just struck me as a very odd line, I suppose, in the episode. Um, anything else from the episode we need to talk about? Isn't there something else you have to do? John, anything else? Um, just the title, uh, Et in Arcadia Ego, which basically uh, is uh, Latin for even in Arcadia, there am I, uh, the I being death. Mm -hmm. um, so this was really kind of interesting because um, there are a number of paintings that are entitled uh there are a number of paintings with this as uh, their title, which basically show shepherds of Arcadia in Greece, mm. um, which was 
supposed to be this rural idyll. In one of the paintings, um, the shepherds are next to a tomb, and, and the other, they're, they're looking at a skull okay. on the ground. And it's basically that even in paradise, death is here. Mm. Um, it is related to that memento mori, this idea that um, death is the great leveler. It comes to everyone, even in paradise. Um, and I thought that was kind of nice. You know, we have come to this supposed synth paradise, yet death is coming to uh, Capelius uh, in the form of Romulans, or yeah. dare I say it, in the form of this this synthetic alliance. Yeah, or de- yeah, death is coming to the organics because of this. Exactly. Um, so it's this the inescapability mm-hmm. from death. It happens, even uh, dare I say it, maybe for the the synthetics, at least for Saga. I think she did die, although I was wondering how a glass hummingbird through the eye would kill her. Hmm. I presume they just take the eye out and replace her and reboot. Maybe the Turn glass, her off, turn her on again. Maybe the glass hummingbird went all the way through to her uh, neural network. Her neural network. Maybe. Or maybe something like that. Maybe it's the, the flaw in the design, uh, perhaps. Um, but yeah, yeah, death is there in paradise. Um couple of little notes for me. Um, I just had to point out the maggoty rotting fox that was in the <laughs> admonition because we saw that every single episode of True Blood, it was in the opening credit sequence of, yeah, uh, of yeah. True Blood. It looks exactly the same. It's just, uh, repurposed for this, uh, this vision in the admonition. So I thought that was, uh, that was just stood out to me, I suppose. Uh, one of the things that was in the admonition, uh, if you notice the, um, the eye, there's an eyeball in there that has the Federation symbol in there, which, I think is one of the reasons why the Romulans were specifically resistant to the Federation using synths to help them get out of their system. And that's why there was so much, so many attacks and so much fighting going on with the Romulans um, is because they'd seen this prediction of this is exactly the way that would go down. The Federation will help you out. They will use synthetics and then that will spell the end of all of the organics. And that's what it's trying to say in the vision. Just thought that was a little interesting little touch. Yeah, so the, that's why they had to attack Mars. Mm-hmm. That's why Commodore O, after the Shad Vash had, had seen that image yeah. and said, we need to go to the human world of Mars. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think it's from. I don't know, one of the one that I had to look up because it, it felt like it was telling you to go and Google some <laughs> Definitely. Star Trek episodes uh, when... Rafi says about we could be going outside and there could be angry reptiloids or homicidal fungus, uh, is what she says outside. <laughs> uh, it's a thing, she says, she insists. So that's go Google it, people, if you, if you want to know what that is. Uh, the angry reptiloids, I thought that might be a reference to the Goran, the reptiloid yeah. creature that, um, that Captain Kirk fought against in the original series. Uh, we already had references to that throughout this series. It's one of the most well-known episodes of the show for good reasons and bad reasons. I suppose the guy in a reptile suit has made fun of over the years as to what he looks like. So maybe it's, that's the reason why it's today. And um, the homicidal fungus, that one I really didn't get out to search for this one. And the, it, the idea is it's a reference to a Star Trek episode where um, a fungus has taken over the food of people and one of their leaders has to kill off some of his people because of the fungus. So the fungus has turned him homicidal. I think that's what's a reference to, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, if you have any other ideas where it came from, fellow listeners, just email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. <laughs> <laughs> John, overall, I think we've been whipping this episode a little bit. So yes. I'm intrigued to know what to think of Star Trek Picard episode nine overall. Yeah, I mean, I really thought the the episode was was fine. Um, right. 
and it's a little bit of a shame. This needs to be ramping up, and you have a part one. You, you really want this to be full throttle going into part two, even that you can look at part one and part two sort of almost right after part one. This was the wrong time to introduce Capellius, to be honest. I, I think it should have been introduced episode seven or halfway through episode seven, maybe even at the start of episode eight, where you could have had that and you could, you could have built up the tension a lot more. You know, the, these, these synthetics are, are very, um, in a sense, they know a lot, but they're naive and they have been isolated in this distant world from all other contact. Um, I kind of wanted to see them not panicking, but in, in effect, just being, caught between what they had to do mm. um i wanted to see sutra become evil not just be plonked into the episode as evil mm. uh, in the same way as with you know i wanted to see um dr uh, inigo soon uh, go from welcoming picard to effectively uh, undermining him i wanted to see how that played out it just felt way too quick and way too condensed yet I did like all the individual things here, but I think this is why I'd give it three space flowers out of five. Ooh, yeah. um, it's still a recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it almost feels like this was should have been an earlier episode. Yeah. Um, Do you think the, we as the audience could have gone to this planet on our own early on in the season? Because I don't know whether the reveal is enough to have to wait for the ninth episode and Picard to arrive there, because we'd kind of been told that there was a synth homeworld from episode two of the show. From Narika and Narissa, we'd been told there was going to be a synth homeworld. So it revealing in episode nine that there is a synth homeworld and it's full of synths isn't as revealing if you know that information. So could we have gone there earlier on in the season and met Dr. Sung and met Bruce Maddox and Flashback maybe doing their work building the synths? Exactly. Or in like episode four or five. So or we can kind of know the society maybe. I, I think so. Or even if they had just sped up some of the memories returning to Soji, you could have just done it through that. Maybe. You know, when a- around the table uh, with Riker and D- Diana, that as soon as the home world was named mm. by um, their daughter, mm-hmm. that it kind of came flooding back and you Maybe. got some exposition there around it. I didn't mind this episode at all. I just felt it was in the wrong place at the wrong time with not enough urgency given the Romulan fleet bearing down on them. Um, And I just felt that, um, if anything, it was down to the some of the writings, you know, Picard suddenly almost having speaking this in tongues um, as they arrive at the planet. Um, I know that's to do with his his brain abnormality, but it just was like, it didn't, it just kind of, oh, has he just done that? I want to thank you for coming, everyone. The, the yeah. yeah, it was like he was at a seance and he'd just been possessed. Yeah. And I thought, was it something to do with the synths? And it, it took me out of it. I think Raffi, you know, her goodbye was nice, but it was just strange. It was off point. Um, and it just didn't feel right. And in the same way that Sutra, understanding the admonition from Jurati was done through effectively an organic mind meld rather than her processing the information to say, well, what if it's coming from another point and, and kind of working that out. And I think if we'd been there earlier and you had the Borg cube there, they know that's there. And if it is something to do with the Borgs that she finds more information from like, 
it feels like they've set all this up and effectively now what we've got less than an hour to get mm-hmm. to a big presumably world battle of maybe. some description with the romulans and maybe this alliance and understand what Sergi's mission why is narek doing what i mean i'm sure it will make sense in part two and i think maybe that's why i mean i needed to go straight into part two yeah um, I think if you're going to call episodes part one and part two, and given this is on CBS All Access, they could have just released it. Yeah. And then... I wonder, is it just a reference to the, the Best of Both Worlds, which was the finale of one season, and then the part two was the start of the next season? I think that's the episode. If I've got the, yeah, maybe, the episode, right? maybe. I think it was just a reference, because the end of the episode is the Romulans bearing down on the planet and they're about to attack kind of thing and then come back next week for the attack and the battle. It, it could be, yeah. But for such a an episode that's full of exposition, full of detail that we could have gotten earlier on in the season, as you say, it feels like a slightly underwhelming episode and how they dealt with some of the issues that were there, uh, having characters appear for a minute or two to say hello and then disappear and say goodbye, you know. Uh, all that stuff feels a little bit... Um, just weighted wrongly uh, in the episode but as you say john you know we, one of the things about doing weekly podcasts about a show is we're going to watch the last episode and that might completely change our opinion of how this episode we might not care about this episode next week when we get a completely different episode or a better episode we might never remember whether this was good or bad exactly um, but i think overall yeah as a as a rating of of this particular episode it's one of the weaker ones for the season and that's not great at the end of the season no it's it, it's not i mean i i did like a lot of things and i thought yeah. the actors it was good um i i actually feel it's the showrunner uh, and the writing actually for this well, one yeah, uh, we'll that's see. where my complaint are on this lies to yeah. be honest yeah, we'll see how it works out in the final episode of the season let's get on to a little bit of feedback if you want to send in any thoughts on any of the shows that we cover, you can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or you can join us over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. Yeah, we got some uh, feedback through from Facebook from Jim Carrey. Uh, Jim goes, well, they can't all be episode eight. Spoiler alert for Battlestar Galactica, the series reboot. I kind of saw it happening, but now it's clear. There's a lot more going on, but Star Trek Picard is borrowing so heavily from Battlestar Galactica that it's alarming. Mm. It rehashes these story features. The concept of unaware, unactivated synthetics with lookalikes, the exact phrase destroyer of worlds as a prophecy. A female apparently holds the role but is conflicted. There is a legend of a historically re- reoccurring and inevitable cycle of fear and organicide. The Battlestar Glasgow reboot had the sense to not bring back the Daggett. Too bad Fandering hit a new low by featuring Spot 2. Um, the final scene uh, came off just as cheesy as in 1978. Their interpretation of the circle of grief was unexpected, as were how the orchids foreshadowed in the show intro every week panned out. May I infer from the lack of response 27 hours after it dropped that this episode was a letdown. I hope everybody's feeling okay otherwise. Jim. Thanks, Jim, for that. I, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, I, I, I think there was uh, a drop of the ball here uh, for this penultimate episode, and given that it has a part two, um, to, to an extent, I'm not 
too fussed whether they um, take elements from Battlestar Galactica because I think um, any story talking about sort of synthetic or robotics uh, taking on um, humans or organics, I'm sure Battlestar Galactica has effectively borrowed from uh, another tale of, of that. So, mm -hmm. I, Blade I, Runner? Yeah. Um, like we talked about them earlier on, Blade Runner and Terminator are two examples of this whole concept. It's not, it's not a new concept. But as of right now, as of episode nine, done better in those two places, I suppose. So Battlestar Galactica did do it over five seasons as well. So rather than over a couple of episodes here so uh, so i think i know what you mean to be honest jim it does really matter where you look on our particular feed on facebook we do get most of our feedback in on fridays and saturdays so depending on when we record is when you'll see the feedback from our listeners for uh, for these episodes i have seen people being absolutely in love with this episode uh, people that really really enjoyed it um and that's possibly to do with what you're saying, the, uh, the, your trademark phrase, the, uh, the fandering, uh, that, uh, that this show does occasionally, you know, having Brent Spiner back in the show is a massively important thing to yeah. some fans of Star Trek Next Generation. And they'll forgive a lot of things that happen in the episode for bringing him back. Having Spot the Cat in there is again something that a lot of fans really will enjoy and find, and find really interesting. And, I feel like I'm one of them sometimes on this show. I absolutely love being pandered to as a fan of a show. I want to be. I want to see things that I recognize from the previous shows to know that I'm in the same universe as the original show was in. Because otherwise, why have the name slapped on it if you're not going to be in the universe? But the things that I have a problem with have a lot less to do with the pandering that's there for fans. Because as I say, you're trying to get fans to enjoy the show. So pander to them all you need to. But the things that just seemed weird in the show is exactly as John pointed out. Some of the writing in the show just seemed a little off as if they had written it before they knew what the characters were. Maybe there were three or four months before they had the idea of some of the characters in their head and it didn't make sense. Maybe we need to say goodbye to Picard in this way from Raffi who we know is a completely different character who wouldn't be thanking Picard for all of the wonderful things he did because he didn't do anything wonderful as such. Well, so, uh, yeah, at least not in the last 15 years. But yeah. um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think as well, uh, I am with you about the unexpected use of the orchids. Um, mm -hmm. I, cool. But I loved it. I, I thought it was... Um, I just thought it was a really beautiful kind of nice concept of, of these flowers coming from the the uh, planet to to envelop the these attacking ships. Yeah. It really did feel like if uh, you know the flower power hippies of, of the sixties uh, could could stop a war, this is how they would do it. Mm -hmm. They would send enveloping flowers to take the guns, grenades. Um, but I, I, and I, again, the image around the Vietnam War, wasn't there with uh, the, uh, the flower going into the, the gun the, barrel? Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, it, you know, that really does again go back to a bit of a, a nostalgic element around the, you know, going to a unknown planet, mm. making first contact with this paradise, uh, this community. Yeah, um, exactly. And uh, I, I thought this was really a nice element of this episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one other thing, Jim, you mentioned the uh, the Destroyer of Worlds being used in, in Battlestar Galactica. Isn't it weird? I watched all Battlestar Galactica twice 
And for some reason, I didn't connect the Destroyer of Worlds with Battlestar Galactica. I connected it with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, because that's what the character of Quake is called, is the Destroyer of Worlds. Uh, the, there's a prophecy about her destroying the planet, basically, for a whole two seasons. And maybe it's because I've seen S.H.I.E.L.D. more recently. That's where I instantly connected the phrase with, is, is it being uh, Quake wrecking the world or killing everybody on Earth because she's the destroyer of worlds. So I, for some reason, I didn't make that connection between the two things. But um maybe I need to go and watch Battlestar Galactic again. The reboot was great. Any excuse. Yeah, really? yes. loved it. Uh, do you remember the daggers that uh, that Jim's mentioned? Yes. The, uh, the dog robot, uh, which they did <laughs> yeah. not bring back for the series. Thank yes. goodness. <laughs> I am totally with you on that, Jim, for sure. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the feedback, Jim. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Next piece of feedback comes in from Brian Malosh from the Star Trek Picard podcast on Talk Through Media. Brian says, I'm not sure what time you guys record, but hopefully I'm not too late. This was my least favorite episode this season. I didn't like the plot twist of the Synth Alliance coming to destroy the organics. That feels too much like control from Discovery. I especially didn't like Sutra doing the mind meld. How a synth could do that is dubious. The orchids are just plain dumb, in my opinion. They're a one-use defensive weapon which is just not practical for orbital defences. Oh, and why does a poke in the eye cause a synth to die? There were some good moments. It was certainly a surprise to see Brent Spiner as yet another soon. The Raffi says, I love you scene was great, though I think someone who hasn't read The Last Best Hope wouldn't feel like it was earned. Prediction, the golem will be used for Picard, not Sung, and Seven will be a permanent member of the cast. Or, and this would be a total WTF moment, Picard dies, Seven becomes the lead character, and the show continues as Star Trek Seven of Nine. That's it for me. <laughs> Excellent, Brian. Thank you for that feedback. Um, yeah, definitely. There's a number of points uh, around Sutra doing the mind meld. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly uh, the death of a synth just with um, the eye being taken out. Um, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I certainly think the two points where maybe I'm of an opposite persuasion. I kind of loved the, the orchid mm-hmm. defense. Um, I just thought it was fun. Um, and I thought it was a, a neat idea, uh, around sort of taking down the power of the ship and bringing it down to the, the planet that they may survive that reentry or not. But, um, it, it felt, as I say, uh, a nod to the, uh, the hippie sixties. Flower um, power, man. Exactly. Flower power. Flower power. <laughs> I think with the Raffi moment to Picard, I haven't read The Last Best Hope. Um, so maybe that's why it did, um, jar with me. Um, and, and I do think, you know, we, we've done the, uh, prelude comics here uh, and Derek's read um, that that book as well mm-hmm. but I also, you know, however much these are intertwined, not everyone gets to look at the um, the book, not everyone gets to look at the comics and so I do feel that there has to be some internal um, consistency within just the series yeah. and for me, it wasn't so much that she said I love you, I think she's absolutely entitled to say that, but it needed to come with a qualification mm-hmm. around how she had been abandoned or just neglected by Picard for the 10-15 years after he resigned yeah. and after the attack on Mars. But I, I, I get your point. It is a nice nod for Raffi, for sure. It is, definitely. But I will say, having read the book, and I don't think this is spoilers now because there are bits of it in the show, um, Raffi leaves Earth and goes and joins Picard, leaving behind her family, who eventually... She gets divorced from her husband and loses contact with her son, which we've seen in the show with Gabe. And then Picard leaves her behind 15 years ago on the show uh, as he 
retires and she effectively gets fired from her her position in the Federation. So I don't think that's spoilers, but that's most of what I got from the book, other than the fact that they were very good friends. It seems like Picard actually didn't do a huge amount for her. So this line from her going, I love you for everything you've done for me, felt unearned in the show, as we said. But I, I don't know. I, I just think it didn't work. I think you just could have fixed it with just one line of dialogue, as we mentioned earlier on in the podcast. But thanks so much for your feedback, Brian. In tribute to you and your own podcast, which you do have a section called Not Good Enough, I think your feelings for the episode speak loudly as Not Good Enough, damn it! Not Good Enough! <laughs> ah, great stuff. Uh, some more feedback uh, from Claire Owens. Uh, in my opinion, the weakest episode of the season so far. It felt and looked very 1970s, 80s, and not in a good way. What the hell was up with those flowers? <laughs> I have so many faults to pick with this episode that I don't really know where to begin. This episode felt like season eight of Game of Thrones. Ooh, Ooh yeah, thanks, uh, Claire, for those thoughts. I'm definitely with you. I, I think this is the weakest episode. Um, my, my out of five certainly uh, suggests that uh, i gave it a three it's still a recommend uh, but certainly um i think it's the weakest episode i think it's got some nice points within this and um, i certainly feel it felt very original star trek in terms of coming to this paradise and it turning sour very quickly and also just the episodic feel of this nature which is weird because it's a part one um, you know, like the, the tee up for the next episode actually came in the post credits trailer for the next uh, part, which you don't always get. You certainly don't get that on Amazon Prime here where we watch it. So, um, you know, just having all the ships lined up, whilst I loved that scene of seeing all the warbirds mm -hmm. um, and Commander O on the bridge of the lead, um, that just really wasn't enough you know in in a sense it would have been nice to have intercut with commander o and those warbirds yeah. throughout this episode to get that sense of increasing threat coming towards um this paradise planet um and again i have to disagree i <laughs> love the flowers <laughs> but um i i get it's not everyone's cup of tea oh yeah um but there were so, so many other things to complain about. Yeah, but yeah, I <laughs> mean, I, I think it. I was coming at it from a visual point of view mm -hmm. and from the idea of the um, spaceships that that use solar sails. Mm -hmm. um, I, I thought they looked really cool, and in in sense of that nod to the hippie sixties, as I've said before, mm -hmm. it, it just felt um, that yes. A hippie commune of synths, like it was kind of shown, it made sense that they would do it in that way and give everyone at least an equal chance of survival, mm -hmm. uh, even though they are attacking. Yeah, uh, there is a reference, a couple of little references in the episode actually that it meant to point out when Brian uh, mentioned his feedback. They talk about how quickly they can build them. They've only got two days before the Romulans arrive, and already within one day they've built another fifteen of these. So that is one th good thing, I suppose, about the defense. They're not growing them for a hundred years from seed or something. So. They're actually being built and, and come around really quickly. And the other thing as well, when they arrive in the system for the first time, they say there's no spaceships around at all. Um, and I think they mentioned they only ever had one ship, which is the one that was sent off with Beautiful Flower and Janna, who were sent off in the spaceship. So there's no spaceships in the solar system at all. So planetary defense didn't seem to be something they were too worried about. And they could build this defense system reasonably quickly, but not within two days. Anyway... Everybody seems to be against us, John. Nobody seems to like the uh, planetary <laughs> no, flowers. I, I do get it. <laughs> I, I think it's a real visual um, jar compared to the rest of the season mm -hmm. where it is all space hardware and, and blasters. Yeah. And this is a very different 
aesthetic. Um, yeah. And I'm not saying it's necessarily consistent. And I do, you know, in part, I do agree with Claire and Brian around mm. the flowers. But I just thought, okay, they're going to go with that. So I'm happy enough. And I, I think as Brian said, and I think as Claire have said, I think there's way too many other faults to pick with the episode. <laughs> um, and I, I think in particular, as we've just said on the podcast, um, it, it's the writing. I don't think the writers have teed this up well. Mm. I think the acting is is solid, yeah, as you would expect totally. from this, this cast. Um, visually, it looks great. Mm-hmm. But they've tried to cram too much into too little time. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, you could have actually been on this planet a little sooner, I think. And again, I think it comes back to the warbirds. You know, isn't that such a great visual interpretation to show them coming at diff- to, towards this planet at different stages and um, with little snippets on the bridge with Commander O yep. and so on to give that sense of forebodance okay. yeah. um, and, and the imminent threat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just saying two days, grand, but then, you know, I know they're synths, but where's the mass panic, at least from some of the others? And, you know, they, they can't build these flowers which they seem to do 15 within at least a few hours mm-hmm. yet they're about to build a beacon mm-hmm. from whatever um and they can do that in two days yeah. so it, it, it's just kind of like you can build technology really fast <laughs> yeah but uh, you know it's still like okay yeah. like I, I think I, this could have been done a lot better from the writers, to be honest. I guess the mass panic is exemplified by the fact that we have them rising up and going to contact another group of synths to join them to take out all organics. I guess that's kind of the part of mass panic because they're all being whipped up into this frenzy of we need to get all synths versus all organics. But you're right, it just needed a little more time to build. One good, one thing about the writing, I will say, I wonder what the CGI guys thought when they got the page delivered to them going, you need to create massive flowers that could pull a Borg ship out <laughs> <Absolutely>. of the sky. <laughs> they did a great job of, of <laughs> developing that, I suppose, but that's the idea that's given to them. They have to do it. So. Well, you can imagine them in a state uh, of the US where cannabis uh, is still illegal and them going, <laughs> oh, that's California. Here you go. <laughs> Apologies, my American friends. (laughs) Thanks so much for that, Claire. Uh, We also got a bit of feedback from Robert Phillips. He says, I really, really hope this is the sea of fun receding before the tsunami of delight that episode 10 will bring. (laughs) (laughs) I adored the synth exploring the lines on Picard's face and the I love you exchange. And I'm thinking the golem is too much of a setup for spoons or pickle art. <laughs> Maybe we can get a Raffi switch in now that we've had the declarations of love. So I, I'm taking that. I did reach out to, to Bob just to clarify. I'm taking that that he means Raffi will be the one to decide that Picard will live on in the body of this golem that they describe. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I love the idea that um, we have uh, Jean-Luc picolarded uh, within the golem. <laughs> Um, I, I do think that's a real option here, but I, I am wondering, um, again, a bit like with, with Brian mentioning that this, this golem will be for Picard. Mm. I, I'm wondering to what extent it will be soon, uh, or even, uh, to bring back Bruce Maddox. Yeah. Uh, and I think I'm leaning more towards the conversation, uh, with Riker and Deanna, mm-hmm. uh, at their home where she, where they indicated that their son died because there wasn't able to be tests done on synthetics, which could have most likely provided a cure for his particular condition. Mm-hmm. My theory. Yay. 
Yeah. And so with the synthetics here, there is a chance in order to explore cures uh, for Picard. Um, it, it would be an interesting thing to make someone so iconic into effectively a synthetic um, or, dare I say it, Data Mark II, which I can see the initial attraction of that because mm-hmm. Data and um, Picard were, you know, so close. And this has been a huge uh, motivational part of this um, season for Jean-Luc. Mm-hmm. So it could be interesting, but I think soon set talks about his urgency in trying to get this mind transfer, which yeah. suggests maybe there's something wrong with him. Or, as you had said, Derek, that his conversation with Dr. Jurati around, you know, you've taken a life, maybe now create a life. It could be that Bruce Maddox has got his mind downloaded, which can be transferred. So she's able to bring back her partner. Yeah, yeah. I just don't see Picard agreeing to having his mind downloaded into a body to live on for forever. I don't know whether that seems like an odd choice for the character of Picard because he feels like he's gotten to the point where he knows he's going to die and he's accepted that, I suppose, uh, in a way. He kind of says, I'll live on as if I'm not a sick man. Um, but would he choose to live forever within the body of a synth? Or will somebody be forcing his mind into the synth? Well, that, that may be something to explore in season two. Yeah. I really hope they don't explore it uh, in part two of this, <laughs> because otherwise it will just be crowded. Um, they'll be crowded out from the other stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, it would make no sense here. Absolutely. Thanks again for all of your feedback. Yeah. Thanks so much for the feedback, fellow Trekkers and Trekkies. One more thing to do before we head off for this episode. John, let's go to the pub. Uh, which we can't do in Ireland at the moment. All the pubs closed. Yes. Before St. Patrick's. Yeah, week, absolutely. So we've not been to a pub in over a week. That's it's brutal. Shocking. Yeah, in most places, the hand sanitizer has been stripped from the supermarket shelves. Mm. It has here, along with the tissues mm. and the bog roll. Yeah. But in as well, um, I dare I say it, when we were looking for a few drinky poos, um, it was looking a little bare there in, in the supermarket yeah, as well. And um, Nobody can go out, no pubs or anything to go to, but we can go to 10 Forward for a pub quiz. Yes. John, what's our 10 Forward pub quiz question? Welcome to the 10 Forward pub quiz question. Unfortunately, we're on the synth world, so they only seem to bring them water. Mm. Um, so that's a little, so maybe you want to add, I don't know, a little bit of cordial into that synthetic water <laughs> from the planet Capellius. Um, yes. So quiz question here. How many Romulan ships are heading to Capellius to destroy the synth world? Mm. And for a bonus question, because I love them so much and because all the tables uh, in 10 Forward have got a flower in them. How many giant bogey flowers do the synths send up to intercept La Serena, the Borg Cube, and Narek's snakehead ship? Yes. Interesting. Okay, so there's a number of times the flowers are mentioned throughout the episode, so it's the initial attack on the yes, it Borg is. Cube and the Narek snakehead. By the way, I love that his ship is the snakehead uh, you know, we have the Romulan Bird of Prey, which is uh, the big ship yeah. uh, that's out there. And this little ship's called the Snakehead. And that's just a cool name. Um, but you know you're the bad guys, though, if you're calling your ships Bird of Prey and Snakehead. Right? <laughs> Definitely. John, um, do you want to give the question one more time? I will do. So then, fellow Trekkers and Trekkies, here is the pub quiz question for Episode 9. How many Romulan ships are heading to Capellius to destroy the synth world? 
And as a bonus question, and how many giant bogey flowers do the synths send up to intercept Lacerana, the Borg Cube, and Narek's snakehead ship? More. Answers on a postcard, <laughs> fellow Trekkers and Trekkies. No, emailed, John, emailed. Yes, emails sorry. to feedback at TV Podcast Industries with your answers to all of the podcast questions. I just like send your answers in on a postcard. That's because we're old. I John. know, it is. But it, it, it's good to get back to ye olde uh, technology sometimes. Except no, we don't have a postal address. Now. Exactly. <laughs> Please send in your emails. And of course, you'll be in with a chance to win the making of Star Trek Picard book. Mm -hmm. There is also a family-crested Picard beer steiner, because, of course, this is a pub quiz. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is 10 forward, and you do need something to drink that cool uh, ice-cold beer in summer, especially if you're housed up at home for any length of time. Mm -hmm. And we also have a Starfleet pin badge as well. Mm So please send in those emails to have a chance of getting those quiz prizes. Uh, Looking forward to seeing those answers uh, coming in. Uh, We're certainly guessing a few. Absolutely, yeah. Want to get everybody to enter the contest before next week. We will have one final question in our season finale episode, Star Trek Picard, episode 10. Et and Arcadia Ego Part 2, obviously. Uh, written by Michael Tabon, directed by Akiva Gilsman once again. And then we will do our final wrap-up episode of Star Trek Picard, where we'll go through all of the answers about a week after, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so it'll give you enough time to get all the answers in for all 10 episodes of the season. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. You can hear so much more of us if you want to. You can go over to patreon.com slash TV podcast industries, support us over there, and you can get access to all of our penny dreadful rewatch podcasts. Um, you can also go over to dreadfulpodcast.com where the episodes are releasing a little bit more slowly over there if you want to join us uh, for those episodes of Penny Dreadful. We yes. Hope you do. Absolutely. And please remember to share the podcast because that is sharing the love. Please stay subscribed, rate us, leave a review, share with friends. Uh, it is great to have you guys and gals on board with your feedback within the group uh, and everything else. It's great mm-hmm. to get your thoughts for sure. Definitely. Definitely. Bye bye, fellow Trekkies and Trekkers. Keep watching the stars. Yeah, as always, fellow Trekkers and Trekkies, it's a pleasure speaking with you. We'll be back again with you next week. But in the meantime, remember, keep watching, keep listening, and engage. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Bye.